0: hello and welcome to amazing tales from off and on connecticut's beaten path my name is mike allen and every other tuesday i bring you a fresh fascinating story about historically significant people places and events from connecticut's long and fabled past stories that have relevance far beyond the state's borders today on amazing tales samuel clements better known to most of us as the classic American writer and humorist Mark Twain. Twain lived a quarter of his lifetime in Connecticut, and as always, he left behind many great memories. The story of Samuel Langhorne Clemens, or Mark Twain, in Connecticut is too long for a single episode of Amazing Tales. I'll feature the part of his story when he was in Hartford in a separate episode at a later date. Today, though, we'll focus on the last two years of Clemens' life, years that he spent in another Connecticut locale, the rural and beautiful town of Redding in Fairfield County. A brief history of Mark Twain's life is in order. He was born in Missouri, and he dreamed of being a riverboat captain all of his younger years, a goal he did achieve briefly before the Civil War broke out. In fact, he took his pen name from those activities. A Twain is a water level used in nautical calculations, And so when the crew asked you to mark Twain, you were actually taking a water-level reading. He went out west, first as a prospector for gold and precious metals, and when that didn't work out, he turned to journalism, and he was writing travel pieces for publications while living in San Francisco. A friend of his, Charles Langdon, showed Clemens a photo of his sister in 1868, and two years later, Clemens had married Olivia Langdon of Elmira, New York. The Clemens moved to their gorgeous house on Farmington Avenue in Connecticut state capital of Hartford, which is now a museum and open to the public, in 1874. They lived there for 17 years, and there he wrote some of his seminal contributions to literature, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Huck Finn, and A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Then they moved to Italy due to his wife Olivia's poor health. Olivia unfortunately never recovered, and she passed away while they were there. Clemens and his daughter Clara then moved into an apartment on 5th Avenue in New York City, an apartment building that today has unfortunately been torn down. Then, sight unseen, Twain bought property in Redding, Connecticut, and had a large Italian-style mansion built high on a hill. He moved in in 1908. And that's where our story picks up. I'm happy to say I was able to speak with the person who served as the director of the Mark Twain Library in Redding, Connecticut for 10 years. She had just retired a few weeks before I sat down with Beth Dominiani in the library itself, half a mile as a crow flies from Twain's fabled mansion, Stormfield. Beth said one of Twain's priorities when he came to town was to create a library for Redding. Reading was ha- was a farming community, like most of these communities, as
1: well as a community where people would come in, uh, you know, for the summer. You got out of the what probably was a sweltering, not so good smelling city by coming into coming into the countryside.
0: In 1908, when Twain moved into Reading, Connecticut, had been largely deforested, meaning he had quite a view from atop the hill where his Stormfield Mansion was located
1: he began by um, noticing uh, that there was an unused chapel, not far from where his property was. And so he got together with um, his biographer, Arthur uh, Bigelow Payne, and he also, um, some other local community folks, and they started to populate that library.
0: That would be just an interim solution until a new and fancier library could be built. To finance that, Twain put his extraordinary wit and style to work.
1: Money was raised by people uh, coming into Twain's new home, Stormfield, uh, and he would charge them, you know, to fifty cents to, uh, you know, leave their suitcase. Or you know, he he had various schemes.
0: Twain would eventually hold a very large gala at his mansion to raise money for the library. His daughter Clara and her husband-to-be, a concert pianist, performed. Finally, they targeted a spot where the current library is located, which is at the intersection of Connecticut Route 53 or Reading Road and Diamond Hill Road on land owned by local farmer Theodore Adams.
1: I have heard the story from one Twain scholar that he's basically kind of strong-armed into doing it by Twain.
0: <laughs> Twain's mansion and most of his affairs had been managed by his assistant, Isabel Lyons, and his business manager, Ralph Ashcroft. Beth says that today she has one big regret about Isabel Lyon's perspective on the library project.
1: She and Theodore Adams were looking at the land and, you know, they were, and checking it out, and she thought it was way too much land. Now, as a,
0: as a retired library director at the Mark Twain
1: Library, I gotta tell you, I wish it was more land.
0: Twain's family life saw many tragedies over the years. His only son died at age two of diphtheria, a death that Twain blamed himself for because a warming blanket had fallen off his son while Twain was taking him for a walk. He got deathly ill soon thereafter. His daughter Susie, considered by many to have been his favorite, died prematurely at age 24 of spinal meningitis. That left him with just two daughters, Clara and Jean. Jean had been institutionalized over the years for recurring seizures. After Twain's wife had died in Italy, he took steps to have Jean return to the family. He bought her a beautiful piece of farmland at 325 Redding Road, just down the hill from his Stormfield estate. On what would be the final Christmas before his own death, Beth says that tragedy struck for Twain.
1: Unfortunately, Jean passed away early Christmas Eve morning, basically. Uh, and he was distraught.
0: As the library project proceeded and additional funds were needed, Twain made the decision to sell Jean's farmland and use the proceeds in its construction. His own health, beleaguered by constant smoking, made him realize that he needed to take this step a little bit more quickly. He
1: decided that he was just going to sell off the property that he hadn't bought that long ago for her uh, and use that money to really be the final seed that was needed to finish the building.
0: In fact, just days before he passed away himself, Twain penned one more letter to ensure these steps were taken.
1: The last letter that he wrote was to tell everybody that um, it was basically to say, yes, indeed, I do want the money from the sale of Gene's Farm. Uh, It is to be distributed to the Mark Twain Library Association and used to uh, finish up the library.
0: And Beth Dominiani says Twain was very clear on his intentions for the building.
1: The library is to be called the, the Mark Twain Library, but the actual building itself is called the Jean Clemens Memorial Library.
0: There's a plaque on the main building structure, inscribing it to Jean Clemens and her memory, while the library residing inside the structure is indeed called the Mark Twain Library.
1: We're sitting in right now what is the original library. There's a basement underneath us um, that we now use uh, for our book sale volunteers uh, and a little bit of storage, but this
0: was it. And as special as it is to be there, the Mark Twain Library holds yet another key distinction.
1: I loved enough there was another one, but I've been unable to find anything that says that any other library, in a public library in United States, was founded by a famous American author.
0: Twain's arrival in Reading to take possession of his new mansion was a major happening for this quiet town. Mind you, he bought the land and had his home built, sight unseen. He'd been living with his daughter, Clara, on Fifth Avenue in New York City. When the time came to see his new villa, Twain took the train from New York City to the West Reading train station. His move and arrival details had been well chronicled in the newspapers of the day. He was met by a large crowd of well-wishers and a band as he stepped off the train and into a waiting horse and buggy.
1: He was driven, I guess, uh, in his carriage up the hill, and there it was. Um, The actual house he left in the hands of Isabel Lyons and the architect and others, big little to take care of all the, the details.
0: While construction was left to others, The naming of his new estate was Twain's own doing. It's called Stormfield to this very day. But it wasn't the original name. In fact, it was the third name, and there's a local legend surrounding just how it came to be. The compound was originally called Autobiography House, and then Innocence Abroad. How Twain came to the next step is subject to some conjecture. On the one hand, he had recently published his book Captain Stormfield's Visit to Heaven, proceeds of which helped to pay for the lavish mansion. On the other hand, there's a story told that Twain was standing on one of the porches of his grand house looking over the field as a thunderstorm raged.
1: I've uh, seen that in writing from a couple of sources, but most likely um, it just fit, it, it just fit and the story that you just recounted is the one that I've read the most.
0: The Stormfield Mansion burned the ground shortly after Twain's death. The next owner of the property, though, had it rebuilt, largely in the same fashion and detail as the original. It's located on the same spot where the original house stood. Beth Dominiani has been inside the house and says it's in good hands.
1: It's a modern home for a modern family right now, but it keeps the essence of Twain alive. The current owners are very cognizant that they are the... um, that they're keepers of a, of a very important piece of property.
0: Not all was lost in the fire, however, thanks to some artifacts that Twain had designated for the library prior to his passing. We have
1: books that were part of his personal library. We have a original oil painting of Mark Twain done when he was 63 years old, done in Italy. We have some archival items. We have a billiard ball and a walking stick and his original writing desk, which is really just the back of a cigar box with a, with some tacky material on the front of it that he would write while he
0: was in bed. One of the better documented moments at his mansion came on September 18, 1908, when two men burglarized his house while Twain was asleep upstairs. Now, as the story goes, Charles Hoffman and Henry Williams were from New York City, and they had read in the papers of Twain's move to Reading and the fact he was taking with him all of his personal effects. So they decided to take the same train to Reading that Twain had taken months before so they could take off with some of his goods. Well, it turned out to be a botched affair. They entered at night after all the candles had been extinguished in the dark, and one burglar took the silver chest and placed it near a door so they could cart it away. The other burglar tripped over it and made a loud noise, waking Twain himself, who called downstairs. The burglars took off and hid for a while until they could get on an early morning train. But by that time, and before they got on board, a gang of Reading residents had been informed and got on the train with them. By the next stop, the burglars had been secured, and according to some accounts, roughed up a bit by Twain's admirers before they were taken off to the courthouse. Beth says that the library even has an artifact from that affair.
1: One of the fellows that um, you know, was part of this gang of two uh, in jail made a copy of a riverboat for Twain.
0: Check my Facebook page at AmazingTalesCT for a picture of that boat. In classic Twain style, he posted a note on his front door addressed to any future burglars who might come into his house the cats are
1: asleep in the basket, don't take the cats, you can take the, you know, it's a cute piece. If you take the silver, leave the cats alone kind of thing. It's it's very cute.
0: Twain not only liked to write books, he liked to read them too, but he had a habit of keeping notes about what he was reading.
1: He liked to write in the margins of the books. Uh, He liked to uh, jot down his opinion.
0: It turns out that he could be quite critical of the writing of others.
1: He liked to change uh, words if he didn't like the word, if he thought something was grammatically uh, not to his liking, he'd uh, he might make a little note uh, in in the book.
0: And Beth tells a great story about Twain's habit and how it was on full display at his Stormfield Mansion the night of that major fundraising gala that he held for his soon to be library.
1: My favorite book in our in the collection here is um, uh, Robert Browning's poems. In particular, there is one poem that Twain would read a lot uh, when he did readings and talks. And uh, legend goes that he, he read it at his house at the Scala. He's, he's literally, he's changed Browning's words. So he had the gall to do that and, you know, he just didn't like something. And so put his own pronouns in, you know, worked for him.
0: Twain contributed an unknown number of his own books as a starting point to get his new library started. Beth says nobody's precisely sure just how many volumes he contributed, but they were, originally in the early 1900s, treated just like yours or mine.
1: So they were just like any other person's uh, books that were donated into this, into the original library.
0: Then, however, the popularity of owning one of Twain's personal books started to become a problem as more and more of them began to disappear.
1: They finally began realizing they should call these books back.
0: Beth says her predecessors called in an expert to help out.
1: We've had an expert by the uh, name of Dr. Alan Grivencom. He's written the book on uh, where, where, where is everything that belonged to Twain? Where is his library? Where did all these books end up?
0: Turns out he was just the person they needed.
1: He grabbed up all the books on the shelf that he thought should be put in store, you know, put away and and be taken care of.
0: They've managed to secure two hundred and thirty-two Twain family originals under lock and key to preserve them for the future.
1: We had a book come back just about five or six years ago. Um it was donated into our book sale. Uh, eagle-eyed library staff members saw it, brought it in to me and said, What do you you know, what is this? And could it be? And I called Dr. Gribbin and he said Put it under lock and key, and then when he came two or three years ago to to look at the collection, he determined that indeed it was probably most likely part of Twain's original collection.
0: Managing Twain's personal collection was only part of the responsibility for Beth Dominiani, immediate past director of the Mark Twain Library. She had to put up with quite a few zany requests, including one from a gentleman in the hometown of Twain's wife, Elmira, New York.
1: He was pretty sure that he was the illegitimate grandson of Mark Twain and that Mark Twain had uh, fathered his mother uh, with a liaison with a maid in the Elmira home.
0: She listened politely and said that in spite of the enormity of the claim, it was still a very interesting call for her.
1: It was an interesting conversation because the man didn't know a lot about Mark Twain. He had studied all about Mark Twain and Mark Twain in the Elmira area.
0: Overall, Beth says it was very special being the director of the Mark Twain Library.
1: There is something special about being in a library that you're surrounded by many things that remind you of Mark Twain.
0: And yes, as you might have imagined, there is a heavy rotation from the library of the books that Twain himself wrote, Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer, and her own personal favorite, Puddin' Wilson.
1: One, because it's very funny, Two, because um, it—it's where you see that Twain grappled with this very sensitive issue of slavery long after slavery was abolished.
0: Did she ever just walk around the place and take it all in after all the staff and the patrons had gone for the day?
1: True confession—I have done that on many occasions. <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah, it—it's it, just a cool. F- it's a cool feeling
0: and she definitely felt the importance of her role while she was there
1: sometimes i wonder if his ghost isn't permeating the place and watching over and saying you better do a good job lady (laughs) because you know if you don't (laughs) i'm coming back to get you
0: in the final analysis beth dominiani says the mark twain library is a library open to the public to serve the community just like any other library And in today's world where libraries are playing an increasingly important role as a gathering place in the community for the sharing and exploration of a wide range of ideas, she credits Twain for his foresight.
1: One thing that I always repeat is that he said this should be a community place where you come and you learn and you're together and that is what it truly is and that's what a modern library should be in my opinion anyway. One of the things that we've worked really hard over the last 10 years to make sure that that legacy continued.
0: Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, returned from a trip to Bermuda in April of 1910. He had gone there to try to reclaim his health. He wrote his fateful last letter, ensuring funds would be available for his new library, a library he would not live to see completed, just as he was getting home from that last trip. On the morning of April 21st, 1910, two visitors found him to be in good condition and left Stormfield. Later that afternoon, though, he slipped into a coma and suffered a heart attack in his bed. He passed away at the age of 74, leaving behind, arguably, America's best literature and, of course, his Mark Twain library. that's it for this episode of amazing tales from off and on connecticut's beaten path i want to thank my guest for this episode beth dominiani the recently retired director of the mark twain library in Reading, Connecticut. in between episodes please follow me on facebook at amazing tales ct or instagram also at amazing tales ct you'll find photos supplementing this podcast and i'd love to hear from you If you liked what you heard, spread the word with your family and friends. See you next time here on Amazing Tales from off and on Connecticut's beaten path. I'm Mike Allen. Be safe and stay healthy.